This is Business of Home. I'm Dennis Scully, and welcome to the Thursday Show. Later on, I'll be speaking to Think Lab founder Amanda Schneider live from Neocon. But first, we're going to catch up on the news, including a potential buyer for Bed Bath and Beyond, a roundup of the latest showroom openings, and a look at how designers are catering to an aging population. To do all that, I'm joined by Business of Home's executive editor, Fred Nicolaus. Hi, Fred. Hi, Dennis. How's it going? Pretty well. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I, I don't know if you saw, but the latest inflation numbers are in. We're, we're back down to 4%. <laughs> the recession that uh, we've been threatening for the past year seems like it may not actually happen. We got a soft landing. Blue skies. Market's loving it. I, I know. Apparently a new bull market underway. Where? <laughs> what problems could we possibly have? <laughs> and as soon as this episode goes live. <laughs> <laughs> it's all going to come crashing down. Exactly. Before we get to the news, let's take a quick look back at uh, Monday's episode, the uh, always charming Bunny Williams and uh, her new partner and co-name-on-the-door owner, Elizabeth Lawrence. That was a really fun one we actually did in their office. Indeed, a very fun episode. It was a pleasure to be with them and to have a conversation about the long term future. I know. Where else can you get Bunny Williams's thoughts on TikTok and AI? You come to the Business of Home <laughs> podcast. That's where you come. No, but it was it was a great conversation. And I just, you know, I, I love how Elizabeth Lawrence, you know, her, her partner who's, who's now, you know, her name is, is now on the door, as I said, you know, she was at that firm for 20 years. I mean, it's it really is a very different kind of career than a lot of young people have today where it's you're shifting and changing and TikToking, and so it's uh, it's nice to see someone take sort of the long the long slow route and to see it pay off. Absolutely, I couldn't be happier for everything that is happening for Elizabeth Lawrence, including the birth of her new baby, Elodie. Congratulations right, on that exactly. as well, Lovely. Elizabeth. So lots of incredible things happening for her, and as you pointed out, I think on our last show, couldn't happen to a nicer person. So we're all very happy about that. All right, we're going to jump into the show in just a minute. But first, a word from our sponsor. This podcast is sponsored by Krypton Home Fabric. Krypton revolutionized the indoor performance fabric category 30 years ago, creating beautiful, easy-to-clean fabrics. Krypton crafts performance fabrics to meet the increasingly mindful considerations of designers, with upholstery that's comfortable, beautifully designed, and luxurious while also being responsibly made and enduring. Krypton has partnered with Fabricut on four new color-centric collections currently featured on Business of Home. During June, our listeners can click on the Try It tab at krypton.com for a sample and a fun test kit that's a great client presentation tool to reveal the magic of Krypton. Hi, I'm Caitlin Peterson, the Editor-in-Chief of Business of Home, and I'm so glad you're here. Our team works tirelessly to bring you the industry news you need to know. We're also talking about what it feels like to run a design firm. And you can find those conversations on my podcast, Trade Tales, which features heart-to-hearts with designers getting real about the challenges of creative entrepreneurship. The show is proof that there's no one right way to grow your business. Some weeks, the focus is on improving systems and processes. Others, it's about how sometimes getting out of your own way is what it truly takes to spring ahead. No matter the topic, we're taking a close look at how to build a better design business. And I hope you'll join us. Tune in to Trade Tales every other Wednesday, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And we're back. Our first story, 
about Bed Bath and Beyond, and they finally, after much drama and back and forth, seem to have a cash offer on the table from a company called Overstock.com, $21.5 million stalking horse bid. Fred, what do we know? Well, uh, yeah, as as probably our listeners know, Bed Bath & Beyond declared bankruptcy uh, a few weeks back, and it's been, you know, sort of a, a depressing story to follow the the dissolution of, of a once giant retail company. But at least this sort of puts a period at the end of the sentence. Uh, Overstock has, has put a bid in for their assets. Now, this does not mean that they're going to take over a Bad Bath and Beyond and restart it. They're, they're just buying the intellectual property. They're buying the brand name and the relationships with vendors. Um, we'll get clarity around what actually will happen here towards the end of June because there's going to be an auction, you know, and someone else might come in with a bigger bid. Uh, but it looks like, at the very least, Overstock.com is a likely buyer for what's left of Bed Bath & Beyond. Yes. And as you say, a, a sad story, a shell of its former self, the thought of it, this once $10 billion company going for $21.5 million is, uh, I think at one point at their peak, I think we might have talked about this on a recent show, what do they have, 1,500 stores? I mean, it really is just hard to believe that this is the Bed Bath & Beyond that we've known all these years. And it's kind of funny because this little tidbit of news about Overstock buying it was sort of, I don't know if it was alluded to but it, or coyly referenced, but the, the CEO of Overstock.com did an interview with our own retail columnist, Warren Schulberg, just a week ago. And he was saying, you know, we're going to pick up some of Bed Bath & Beyond's business as it falters. And as it turns out, they're going to they're going to try and pick up all of it uh, in, in the weeks to come. Well, and the CEO of Overstock, uh, another figure always worth watching and paying attention to, whether he's trying to move the company towards crypto at one point and and having an exchange there. And now they seem to have settled on good old-fashioned home. So I yeah, I think we might be talking about them a lot more in the in the weeks and months ahead. That sounds like a Thursday show guest to me. <laughs> Perhaps. I, I, I think he would be quite interesting to talk to. So we will we will see about that one. Okay, next up, big news coming out of IMC. The artist's once known as International Market Center is now and more. Fred, let's tell people about it. Sure. Well, IMC is a really, really big player in the industry that we don't talk about that much just because they're sort of behind the scenes. They own a ton of showrooms in High Point. They own ADAC. They recently bought Shop Object. They also recently launched this sort of uh, online uh, wholesale buying platform called Juniper Market. Uh, and they just unveiled yesterday this this big comprehensive rebrand. They're calling themselves now and more. And all everything they own is now underneath this umbrella. Uh, so they're consolidating, you know, they're actually kind of sunsetting Juniper Market. They're sort of folding that and sort of refreshing under this new brand identity. What was your take on this? Well, it's, it seems as if they want to be able to have this huge, as they describe it, omnichannel marketplace for all of the different market centers and, and make transactions and, and maybe a lot of other things easier for buyers and sellers. It's, uh, it, it's so vast, their, their holdings and, and the many markets that they operate. It's it's really interesting to to see where all this is going. I've already downloaded the new app. Oh, so okay. I'll be fooling yeah. around with that later today. <laughs> Do yeah. a little wholesale buying from home. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. 
Well, yeah, I mean, I think maybe the simplest way to think of it is just this is a consolidation thing. You know, they over the past 10 years, they've bought so many different properties. And so pulling it all together under one identity is uh, is probably a smart move. I, I was surprised, though, to see that they're sunsetting Juniper Market because, you know, if you sort of follow this wholesale buying world, you'll, you'll know about this company called Fair, which is this huge online wholesale uh, buying platform that's been making a lot of noise and gobbling up a lot of market share. And so the impression I got was that everyone was trying to kind of, you know, get online and, you know, have something in addition to your physical market presence. But this seems to be refocusing on, hey, we own a lot of markets. We own a lot of buildings in a lot of markets, and we're going to highlight that strength and make everything we do about that, as opposed to, you know, we're going to start this startup that's going to disrupt the business that we already have. Sort of interesting. Well, exactly. I feel like it was just doubling down on their leadership position. And they, it, it seemed as if, and more. They, they talk a lot about we're so much more. We have all of this to offer. And, and really, of course, we are the big fish in all of these markets. And they feel like maybe that's enough for them to, to send that message. Yeah. It's like we don't need to be like a giant <laughs> retail chain and also start an Amazon on the side. You know, it's it's uh it is interesting, though, because just so much of the momentum has been in the other direction. You know, um, Maison and Objet is starting an online platform that they want to get really big right now. Obviously, Fair, we just talked about. There's a bunch of other little boutique online wholesale buying uh, engines. So this really big bet on, hey, we own a lot of stuff in the real world and we want to see you there is uh, is certainly an interesting one. And I'm uh, I'm excited to sort of follow it as the story develops. No, absolutely. And and I'm excited to see if there is a new feeling in the air when I'm in Atlanta in July at the at the Atlanta Mart. So we'll 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 see. And more is already on their site and part of their part of their logo now. So more to come. Okay. Let's move on and talk about our big showroomers column in BOH. Sure. So every month we publish a roundup of all the new uh, design showrooms and retail stores that are opening up in in our industry. And uh, I would say my big takeaway from this month is that there are a lot of them. I mean, you know, the industry has slowed down a little bit since the peak of the COVID boom. There's no denying that. But people are still popping up in design centers. There were a lot of openings during Design Week last week or a couple weeks ago. Parachute, the direct-to-consumer company, opened up a big store in New York, which proves that not all direct-to-consumer companies are on the verge of bankruptcy right now. <laughs> so retail show, design showrooms are alive and well. Uh, just to sort of focus on like a couple specific examples, was there one that caught your eye? Well, so often I have talked about the fact that to me, when showrooms are at their best, they are a marketing tool unlike any other. And I was just recently in London. We both were in England for a time. And I had the opportunity to visit the new apparatus location in in Mayfair in London, which had just been open a few days when I visited and shout out to Jaime and the and the team there who so graciously took me around and showed me the spectacular 3200 square foot showroom and if anyone has a chance to go and visit that space and just see how Gabriel and his team who we had on the BOH podcast Gabriel Hendefar from Apparatus the the execution the the detail the the restraint the storytelling that this man does the the incense burning ritual in the morning every day before that <laughs> store opens wow. um <laughs> yeah. and, and and the really interesting choice of a location that is not where most 
trade brands would go. It wasn't on Pimlico Road or it wasn't near the design center. It's in a high-end retail fashion district. At least it's in London, not two two hours outside of London in the (laughs) 17th century manner. Yeah. I mean, apparatus, I think, is just a, you know, such a great example of, you know, turning your showroom into not a place to move product, but a brand statement. I mean, everything they do is like an avant-garde art project. And I think it really, it catches people's attention. And I'm sure that one will be uh, a winner. The one that kind of caught my eye actually was uh, traffic coming the other direction, which was a European brand and a Dutch brand called Eichholz. Uh, I'm sure most people will know, uh, opened up a flagship, not a store dentist, but a gallery. Where have you heard that before? A flagship, <laughs> a flagship gallery uh, in, in Miami. Now, Eichholz mostly does wholesaling in the US. So this is their first sort of open to the public retail location. Um, their showroom at High Point was really busy and a lot of people singled it out. They're clearly making a splash here and making an investment. And, you know, I wonder if while uh, Gary Friedman is off on his European adventure trying to gobble up market share over there, they're coming over here and trying to cut, cut the market out from underneath <laughs> him. So I know that that just caught my eye. No, absolutely. And and iColts is a brand made for Miami in a lot of ways. So I, I think they are really going to do well there and be well received and so I'm I'm excited to see them open up a big new space and and become more recognizable to the American market which is a big part of their goal so uh all all good I think and exciting all right moving on we're going to talk about Ashley Furniture and unfortunately quite a large recall of some some love seats some recliners some what we in the industry like to call motion furniture Fred yes well, I, again, full disclosure, I put this on the <laughs> yes, running order. Here goes Fred again, inserting something in the running order. Much yes. to the objection of my <laughs> colleagues. Um, just because, you know, at Business of Home, we're so focused on the high-end interior design market. That, that's our beat, and, you know, that's what we love, and that's what we do. But, you know, Ashley is a huge company that we just never talk about. And Massive. And and this market for recliners is enormous. You go to High Point Market, you'll wander into a building. It's just full of recliners. <laughs> one thousand showrooms, all dedicated to recliners. You know, I remember there was one one time I was talking to an industry consultant who was saying like, if you can design a recliner that designers like, then you'll make a billion dollars because <laughs> it's the it's the it's the thing that everyone wants that no designer likes. But yeah, this one was just interesting because they had this crazy recall of two hundred and sixty three thousand love seats, and the reason why is because they have like light up cup hold LED lit cup holders that were catching fire. I know it's not funny. Thankfully, we do no one not was mean to make light of furniture catching fire. I want to make that clear, but I, but it does show just how insane. I mean, the fact that it's an LED lit cup holder just tells you like this is this is a giant market that we almost never cover at Business of Home, and it was just a it's such such a big recall. That's a huge recall. It, it is such a huge recall, and to your point. It shows you how massive this market is, that they're recalling 263,000 of these pieces. I have literally no LED lit cup holders in my home. (laughs) And I, and I feel the, the absence of it, the void, if you will, uh, as I, as I saw this story. And nor do I have giant reclining chairs to, to watch uh, movies on my, on my giant screen, like apparently so many of the people buying this, this product do. So I'm, I, I can't lie. I'm, I'm a little bit envious around this whole story. Well, when the podcast uh, reaches new heights, we'll, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll give you a bonus, Dennis. <laughs> 
Yes, well, I, I appreciate that. But it it is, again, it is a market we don't talk about a lot. So there, we've talked about it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Moving on to aging in place and a story our own Caroline Burke is working on. Fred? Sure. Yeah. Caroline wrote a great story about how the interior design industry is prepping for this big demographic shift that people sort of colloquially refer to as the silver tsunami or the the gray wave. What it basically means is that just baby boomers are reaching retirement age. They've already reached it in many cases. And they're just crazy stats about how that'll shift the demographics of the United States. By 2030, one in five Americans is expected to be 65 or over. And those people are going to need interior design and they're going to need aging in place facilities that are designed to them. And so there's a whole market uh, of people who are catering to that audience and uh, trying to turn into a business. And that's what Caroline was looking at. Such a huge opportunity. I feel like we have been talking about aging in place for years. The whole market desperately needs good design and thoughtful interior designers to come to the rescue of what are often these facilities. And it sounds like that's starting to happen. Yeah, I mean, and it's sort of happening at all levels of the market, right? You have sort of like, I don't want to say mass market, but slightly lower budget senior living facilities that need not only better rooms for people who live there, but also for the staff. The staff's quarters aren't always particularly well designed. And Caroline talked to people about that. Then there's this whole cottage industry of hyper luxury, you know, housing designed for for uh, aging in place. It's just a really interesting and fascinating market. And it kind of makes sense because as we talk about on the show, sometimes baby boomers still control half of the country's wealth. Well, and the baby boomers have brought luxury everywhere they go. And I'm sure that they will find ways to have all sorts of elaborate facilities built for them. I'm, I'm hoping that's how my own children take care of me. I hope they put me in a <laughs> Planting luxury. a little seed. <laughs> yes, exactly. I used to dream of just moving in with them, but now, no. After reading Caroline's piece, I'm thinking, ooh, some of these facilities sound quite nice. Thank you very much. But $30,000 a month, it sounded like for some of them. So I know. Wow. I don't know. My kids are going to have to save up. Well, it's just it's interesting because like so much of the media is dominated by, oh, everyone's obsessed with TikTok and what's Barbie core. And, you know, <laughs> but when you really think about like who controls, you know, the the money and who's spending big on interior design, it is an older audience. And I just think if you're not uh, cognizant of that on some level, then you're missing out what's what's really happening. So, you know, this this is only one you know, part of it. I think there's a, a much bigger conversation around aging in place. Some of the, some of the considerations are design oriented and some of them are sort of medical, but there's all kinds of interesting things happening in this space. So I just urge you to check out Caroline's article because it's a good overview of what's going on. I agree. And I feel, again, we're always sort of looking for the opportunity for designers. There's a, a huge opportunity in this space and, and designers should definitely be studying up and, and seeing where they can participate in, in some way. And to your point, forget about millennials. The boomers yes. are still driving so much of the spend. <laughs> so focus on them. That, all right. That does it for the news. But there's plenty more to check out on businessofhome.com, including a look at the redesign of the Colony Hotel in Palm Beach and some great advice from Sean Lowe about past clients with small projects. We're going to get to my interview with Amanda Schneider in a minute, but first, a quick break. The luxury of Krypton Home indoor performance fabric is easy to find, sample, and specify. A trusted partner to the top names in design, their beautiful indoor performance fabric can be found at Kravit, Fabricut, 
Century Furniture, Wesley Hall, and Vanguard, to name a few. And in retail furniture trade programs, such as Our House, Design Within Reach, Floyd Home, and Ballard Design. For inspiration and design news, follow Krypton on Instagram at Krypton Fabric. Hi, it's Caitlin again. Are you ready to build a better design business? Join hundreds of design professionals in Business of Homes membership community, BOH Insider, to access exclusive reporting and industry analysis that will keep you competitive and connected as you grow your firm. Membership includes complimentary access to weekly educational workshops with industry experts, a subscription to BOH Magazine, and a directory of skilled trades across the country. Insiders also get discounts on BOH's industry-leading job board, which is especially helpful when you're ready to expand your team. And later this year, insiders will begin to receive exclusive invitations to private field trips to unique destinations that unlock creativity and community. Learn more and join us today at businessofhome.com slash Insider. My guest today is the founder of Think Lab, Amanda Schneider. We are talking live on a podcast at last. I couldn't be more pleased. I share your sentiment for sure. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this. I know it was totally last minute. You're so gracious to come on and tell us everything that's going on at Neocon. We really appreciate it. Well, I am well over-caffeinated. I think I'm on day five <laughs> of Neocon, even though it's a three-day show. So hopefully I can still uh, make words. I believe you'll be able to make words very well. I'm highly confident in your abilities to do that. So just to jump in, tell me, I, I see it seems to be very well attended. People seem to be upbeat. What's the What's the vibe there in the merchandise mart? Yeah, I think the vibe is definitely very positive. Uh, certainly the registration numbers as we talk with the Mart and Neocon are back to about 2019 levels, which I think makes everyone excited to think that we're back to pre-pandemic numbers and attendance at shows like this. But I will say, you know, I've attended a few other shows around the country uh, in the last year. And I think there's something just really palpable about the energy in and around the Mart here um, that feels like we're truly, truly back. So um, in addition to the statistics, which you know I love, uh, I think it's just the vibe of the show feels back to quote unquote normal. And um, there's just a lot of energy here that um, is really exciting. Well, I know that you are a lover of statistics. And I spoke with quite a few people leading up to this show about obviously some of the troubling statistics around office occupancy rates. And a lot of people have the commercial real estate crisis might be too strong a word for right now, but a lot of concerns in that space. And a lot of people were a little bit apprehensive or wondering how it was going to be received at Neocon. Obviously, contract and office, a huge part of the scene there. Tell me how people have been speaking to that or or what the language is that people are using around all of that. Yeah. So unfortunately, I would say there's probably two different camps here. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it can be very polarizing, uh, which is really... Um, sad to me because I think, you know, this sector of the industry should be really leading everyone out of these crazy times that we've been in. Mm. So, you know, I come at this from definitely a data and statistics perspective, and we do all of the interior design giants of design 
research. Mm. And it will tell you that the office sector, and this is per uh, interior design firm fees, has declined about 19% in terms of fees and work that they're doing uh, throughout the pandemic. And that has yet to recover. However, if you look at some of these emerging segments, uh, life sciences being one of them, if you were to take the little bar in our giants of design work and put that on top of the uh, corporate sector as we measure it, it would actually be recovered within one or two percent of pre-pandemic numbers. So while overall, I'm not going to argue that definitely this corporate sector is declining, you know, there are glimmers of Hmm. hope. And I think, you know, if we look at this from a sustainability standpoint and some of the reuse and repurposing of some of these buildings, there's still a lot of exciting work and segments out there. Now, the other thing I'll say is as we look at uh, some of these broader concepts, I think that there is two camps. There is a back to the office uh, camp that is trying to mandate people in and really talking about things like back to work, which always makes me laugh. Because, (laughs) like, man, what have we been doing for the last three years if we weren't at work? Like, this is working if I've seen it. And then there's another camp that really is looking at this with optimistic eyes and kind of a flies to honey approach. Mm. And how can we really incent people back? And I'll say this is a really exciting view from my standpoint, especially as our latest research is looking all around Gen Z, who actually want more FaceTime. Uh, There's a great term called the boomerification of Gen Z. And I think we're hearing that they do want more FaceTime, but they don't want it to be mandated to them. They really want to be invited in and they want a reason. Um, One of our podcast guests uh, from my podcast, Design Nerds Anonymous, talked about the ROC. We hear so much about ROI, um, but the ROC is the return on commute. So how do we really, you know, get inspired and leverage these great spaces to make a return on commute? And I think that there's lots of fuel for that here at Neocon. At the same time, it, it seems like hospitality booming. It, it, it is, is the feeling that, that hospitality is very strong there? Obviously, the travel industry is, is enjoying a, a great ride at the moment, no pun intended. And Carnival Cruise Line sounds like they're wildly overbooked and Delta Airlines has never been busier. What are you seeing from the hospitality side? I think that vibe is definitely reflected in almost every showroom that we see here. So uh, just to go back to the data, you know, very interesting. So corporate is typically the number one sector for interior design, giants of design. Hospitality is typically number two. But actually in 2020, for the first time, we saw healthcare surpass hospitality in our where our top giants of design fees come from. And um, that has remained ahead every year. But our giants of design projected in their forecasts for 2023 that we would kind of right size that, that hospitality would surpass healthcare. And again, I don't have any numbers yet. I will later this year. But um, vibe of the show, definitely conversations I'm having with our Think Lab trend spotters is that that's definitely the case here. And you can see that a lot of those statistics you just gave are definitely inspiring a lot of the the things that are being shown here at the show by some of these manufacturers in the showrooms. Interesting. Let's tell listeners exactly what Giants of Design is. You've referenced it several times. For people that might not be familiar, explain the research that you do and the report that comes out. Sure. So 
Think Lab is the research division of Sandow Design Group. So we are a sister company to Interior Design, Metropolis, the Surround Podcast Studio, and many other divisions. And we act as a subcontractor to Interior Design Magazine in crunching all the numbers. So I like to say we are the nerdy underbelly of this sexy <laughs> industry. And uh, part of that, I guess the simplest way to explain it is Interior Design Giants of Design is a more than 40-year franchise by Interior Design Magazine. And this is like the Fortune 500 of interior design firms. So it is a survey that is done annually. And our job is to really help interpret that data, extrapolate it, and look at what that means for the future of the industry. So when you do the giants of design, tends to be a lot of the, the, the Genslers of the world and big giant firms. But I know that this year there were a lot of other uh, more residential focused firms that, that appeared on the list a, as well. I'm, I'm wondering what you think from a residential interior designer standpoint, what you think is significant from what's going on at Neocon, what you're seeing that that may be showing up and be relevant in their world. So interior design is the top 200 firms. And mm. generally, they tend to be a little bit more commercial focused. However, they also do, especially as you get in numbers 101 through 200, <laughs> a lot of them do get into the residential sector as well. What I would say is super interesting about this show in particular for your audience or for that residential audience is really some of this cross-pollination that's happening. You know, as our work and life blend, as we're working from home, as, you know, maybe we're working from uh, other locations and these two worlds that were once separated by physical space now start to blend in function in feel, uh, in vibe, in how we're using them. I think that it, it is really important to kind of look at these trends that are crossing a lot of these sectors to really understand how one might influence another. I had a conversation recently with the executive director of the DLN, and he mentioned to me, having just had their big business forum, that Last year's conversation was so much about back to work, but also the metaverse and the role that was going to play. I feel as though that transitioned into AI and other kinds of conversations. What are the conversations happening around technology and, and is the metaverse top of mind for people as much anymore or have they moved on? <laughs> I think the metaverse is still kind of an unknown. <laughs> I giggle a little bit because I feel like it's one of these buzzwords that everybody like kind of wants to talk about, but kind of doesn't. Um, but I'll transition <laughs> to AI because I think AI is a very hot, very of the moment conversation. And I think that this has the potential to be as disruptive as the advent of the internet was. And I think many firms, many manufacturers, uh, even data people like myself are still kind of wading in with cautious optimism about what this might mean. So I think AI is still a really hot topic. And I'll also say technology remains a hot topic for our industry. And so I think as we blend this physical and digital world, there's a ton of room for exploration about how we can make that more seamless, more timeless, um, about how we can really create hybrid equity is another term that's coming up a lot here um, around when someone is dialing in, for example, to a meeting, maybe from their home, from another office, how do we make them feel like part of the meeting. And I think we've seen a lot of creative explorations about how to integrate those technologies in ways that don't sacrifice design. 
but also um, who really try to create that hybrid equity. So I'll say from a physical standpoint, that's been a big exploration here at the show as well. Interesting. And and were there a lot of technological integrations at the show? Were people trying to show you how they were going to share all of the information that for people that couldn't attend and uh, and and how, as you were saying, I know you you focused a lot on how sellers can use technology a, a lot in what they do. Yeah, I think we saw a lot of product innovation. Our trend spotters, our Think Lab trend spotters, were actually a little bit disappointed in some of that other integration that we talked about in terms of hmm. how buyers buy and how how we find out about products or even think about you tour this amazing showroom and you want to go back and you want to tell your fellow coworkers about this great product you found. Uh, what's still happening today is you're scrolling through photos on your phone trying to remember now what the heck showroom was that in and <laughs> you've seen so many here. It gets a little overwhelming. So we've seen some brands really tiptoe in to what we're calling the fidgetal journey. Stop it. The fidgetal journey? Okay. I know. Here we go. Another gross All word right. mashup. But this is one that we're using a lot. It's the new resumercial maybe. Um, okay. Okay. But it's about the blending of physical and digital. Mm. So I'll use one example. There is a brand called Hightower that I think did a great job of this. They had QR codes on their tables in their showroom that said, shop the look. And if you scan that, you could easily forward it to someone. And whether you are wondering what's the paint color on that wall, what's that accessory uh, on the table, which are both things that Hightower does not do, or you're wondering what the heck was that chair and what was the finish it was in, which are things that they do and they're trying to sell to you, you had an easy way to remember that, keep the link, share it with your coworkers. Interesting, but you suggested that your team was was a little disappointed with some of the some of the integrations and some of the things that w perhaps they saw opportunities that weren't taken advantage of. Yeah, I think they felt like there was a lot of uh, progress made over the last three years, where you know when some of these brands were choosing not to show or choosing not to send people to shows because of health mm. concerns or because of low traffic and being concerned about investments, we saw some forced innovation on this front. And for the last three years, actually, at this particular show, we've had uh, virtual trend spotters. So these are people that are not at the show and either watching those of us who are at the show post about it. Think about, again, that example of sharing with your coworker or are going to uh, virtual tours and going to the website to kind of figure out if that is, uh, if they can find or get the vibe of the show even from afar. And a lot of brands really got creative during the pandemic. But the general vibe, especially from our virtual trend spotter, we only had one this year. The vibe from our virtual trend spotter was like, man, we're almost going backwards. It's almost hard to find information. So I think right now we're all very excited to be returning and to those human to human connections. But I'm still very excited to see. I hope that we don't go back to quote unquote normal um, because I don't believe that 2019 was the peak of our existence and that we can't do better. And I think that we are seeing, you know, some ways that these past three years have taught us some lessons that we continue to hold on to. And I think we've also seen some other approaches that are lessons we've learned that we want to forget. 
it's certainly interesting to see in the numbers so many companies that, I mean, to your point, thought that the e-commerce expansion would just roll on ever more. Amazon seems to have dramatically overinvested. Shopify mentioned the same thing. We just hired way too many people, assuming that everybody was just going to continue to go online and live there. And now they're not. And to your point, I, I certainly don't want us to fall back into those same habits of 2019 with all that we've learned coming out of this. I would wholly agree with you. And I think, you know, this is how disruption happens. You know, Blockbuster didn't see Netflix coming. It's hmm. the, what's the phrase about the frog in the boiling water? Exactly. The, the, where you just start to turn up the heat and the poor frog is just sitting there. Yeah. And, yeah. Exactly. Which I don't know if that's actually true or not. I feel like there was an episode of Mythbusters on that. Um, but <laughs> I, I've never boiled a frog, so I can't speak from experience. <laughs> okay. But Yeah. Thankfully, no frogs were harmed in this podcast. <laughs> but I think it is interesting, you know, and, and disruption is something that we study a lot that inspires a lot of what we do here at Think Lab. And what's interesting is, you know, um, we get so excited about product innovation mm. and it's so important the biggest future innovations in this industry and many others come from process innovation, not product innovation. And to use a couple of outside the industry examples, think about Airbnb. They didn't invent a better hotel. They invented a better experience for staying. Now, hotels didn't go away. Their rev power is lower, but they still exist. So I think really focusing on this process innovation over product innovation is really important. And we tend to celebrate the product innovation, but where are the awards for process innovation? And where is the celebration for removing friction for our clients? So what's Sandow doing about that, Amanda? Where where are those awards? (laughs) Let me me get Adam on the phone. I'll float that up. I'll float that up the chain. So even though you you just made a a great big fuss about us focusing too much on product, I'm going to walk right into it because... I do want to hear if there were, if there were really interesting products, if there was some cool, new, innovative thing that we're all going to be talking about coming out of Neocon. Was there? Yeah, there was a ton of interesting products everywhere, of course. Let me just talk about some general trends that I saw. The first one I'll talk about is um, some of this idea of this hybrid equity and really some products maybe you could use in your home if you were working from home. Um, Also, some products that you could use in an office if you're trying to have work from home or hybrid workers calling in from another office, um, be able to kind of collaborate. Um, The second thing I already talked about a little bit, which would be really this blending of verticals whether you're a residential designer, you know, looking at um, the influence of hospitality in some of these inspiring spaces or a hospitality designer that's starting to work on corporate because we've seen a lot of these transference. There was a lot of inspiration at the show for how these different verticals are blending and how kind of the expertise of one could inform another, both in designing of space being a product or designing of space being actually designing that space. Um, We also saw a real uh, return to handcrafted. And I think that this is, you know, you talked about AI before and really Mm. some of this digitization that still feels a little uncomfortable. Again, say metaverse and someone in front of you is going to squirm. So I think that it's kind of this backlash, maybe a little bit of nostalgia. We saw a lot of handcrafted. We saw a lot of art exhibits. Um, I think the Bernhardt showroom is a good example of um, 
it really felt like an art gallery. And they had a very talented artist that had uh, beautiful paintings on the wall. And then the furniture kind of responded to that in a gallery-esque uh, little vignette format, which was really, really beautiful. And then the last one I want to talk about a little bit, um, especially because it's hot on my mind related to Gen Z, is this idea of sustainability. Now, sustainability has been a hot topic in the commercial sector, which obviously is where a lot of my roots come from. Um, but we're actually seeing more of that start to seep into the residential sector. And I think it's been interesting because the sustainability conversation has gone from, you know, building and product sustainability to human sustainability. Uh, Gen Z, as we talk about them, uh, they believe one of the reasons they're called Gen Z, this is super depressing, so sorry, um, <laughs> is because they are the last generation before we destroy the planet. And um, if you look at that consumer preference that's related, uh, my generation, Gen X, was actually, um, you know, we would make sustainable decisions if there were multiple other benefits. Maybe there's a cost benefit and it's sustainable. Millennials would make sustainable decisions if all things were equal. Same cost and it's sustainable. I'm going to choose the sustainable option. But Gen Z, who will make up 27% of the workforce by 2025, is the first generation that will make sustainable decisions even to their detriment. So I think we're going to see kind of an enhanced focus on sustainability. We've also done the industry's first ever persona study, which crosses all sectors. And we saw a doubling in a one-year period of our, what we call our sustainability first persona. So you could definitely hear really loud linkage of this sustainability theme across all sectors at the show. It's so interesting that you say that. We've, we've been talking about sustainability a great deal and the skepticism that often follows with the conversations. And so I myself am, am yet to be convinced that there's there's enough of a, an interest and or a concern from the people that are currently making up the big spenders in the high-end residential category. Of course, it's it's not Gen Zs and it's not millennials. And the, and the boomers talk a good game about their caring about it but they don't so far seem to be showing it in their in their spending patterns so i'm i'm excited to hear that the, maybe we're closer to a, a tipping point i don't know what it's going to take i mean to your point about the smog in la or the or the smoke in the air along the entire eastern seaboard from fires in canada i don't, I don't know what more people need to see to realize what an important issue it is and i hate thinking that the gen zers are are, are thinking that that, that they are so called because they're going to be the last generation before. Isn't that sad? That That's is, a little depressing, right? That is horrible. Is it, who, <laughs> that, 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 I don't want them to feel that way. Let's call them something else. Let's change that up. Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Well, I, there's many theories about the name, but I think this is one reason, you know, we chose to dive into Gen Z because I mm. think you can see these clear trend lines by generation and there's certainly arguments around stereotyping, um, but we chose to look at Gen Z as prototypes and really looking for those trend lines by generation. And this is one that I would say, I appreciate your healthy skepticism, but it's coming. It may not be here yet, but I do believe that this is going to be influencing your clients and your listeners' clients in the future. So the takeaway, Amanda, it sounds like Neocon, well-attended, People are upbeat. Yes, commercial real estate, a great big challenge and obviously a challenge that is going to be years to, to come. But there are lots of other sectors, to your point about life sciences and other kinds of companies that aren't having that same kind of problem with occupancy rates and, and the like. Yes? 
I would agree. I would agree. And I would say, you know, overall, I wouldn't, I think it's uncertainty. I think there's a level of uncertainty, even more than decline just yet. And I think there are still a lot of people trying to rethink. And I think the show was full of inspiration for them. It seems like a lot of people, just in closing, recently have started to feel as though, whether it's because Wall Street's rallying again in, in several sectors and uh, things haven't been as bad as people thought they would be a year into pretty aggressive rate increases. Was there a mood at the show of, gee, maybe we're going to have that soft landing that people dream of? I think there's definitely a hope at the show that we're going to have that soft (laughs) landing. And just like I talked about two sides of the coin uh, with some of those, I think some have a much more optimistic view than others. So I hope our optimistic folks are right. Okay. Well, I do as well. Amanda, thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate this. I appreciate you inviting me and uh, looking forward to staying connected. Okay, we're getting to the end of the show here, but before we go, we'd like to take a second to highlight anything going on in the industry that might have caught our eye. Fred? Yes, well, something very high-tech caught my eye. I don't know if you saw this one, but uh, there's this this textile standard called, I, I think it's GOTS or G-O-T-S. Do you know what you say for that? I think they do say GOTS. Okay, well... If that is right, it's <laughs> if it's GOTS, and it's a, yes. basically it's a certification to prove that textiles were uh, manufactured in an ethical and sustainable way, and they're partnering with the European Space Agency to do it in this really crazy way, which is they take satellite imagery and they apply AI to the pictures over cotton fields, basically, to determine whether the cotton field is following GOTS standards. It's just a very cool and interesting use of AI that's a lot better than a robot designing ugly uh, <laughs> ugly ceramic ware, which we discussed <laughs> last week. I just the, the idea of being able to certify cotton from space is just such a cool usage of technology. I'm curious to see if that uh, becomes implemented or whether it's just a sort of a razzle-dazzle Star Trek thing to catch our attention. But if it works, it could be really cool. I agree. And what else can they keep an eye on with that kind of technology? Technology, Fred. <laughs> That's the question. Sure, today cotton, but tomorrow, who knows? But what about you? Anything catch your eye? Well, you know, I've always got my eye on uh, the flat pack Wonder Kings at <laughs> IKEA, and and this one a little intricate in that I think it was actually the company that is the largest owner operator of IKEA's, confusingly hmm. called Inca, uh, right. but Inca bought this speed-up e-commerce software called Made for Net, and it's really in part because IKEA's online growth has sped up so dramatically during COVID, and I don't know if you've ever tried to buy anything from IKEA online, but it's not the easiest experience, I'm not going to lie to you. So I'm pretty happy to learn that they have made this software acquisition that is going to make it possible for them to source inventory from both IKEA stores and warehouses and finally combine all of that. And it is all part of the ever-growing IKEA $2 billion expansion in the U.S. that that I just couldn't be more pleased about. So, (laughs) Well, we're going to follow that one closely because it was a scully prediction that came true. (laughs) Absolutely. I I raised my voice to them and they heard it. So I'm, I'm glad about that. But we will keep an eye on it to be sure. All right. That's all the time we have today. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to keep up with the latest news in the design industry, browse job listings, or take a workshop, 
visit us online at businessofhome.com. If you want to get in touch with the show, write to us at podcast at businessofhome.com. This episode was produced by Fred Nicolaus and Lizzie Reisinger and edited by Michael Castaneda. I'm Dennis Scully. Have a great weekend, and we'll be back with you on Monday. Thank you.